If you could share one big idea to change the future of education, what would it be? In our One Big Idea series on Future of School, the podcast, we'll hear from a diverse array of education stakeholders, from parents and educators to longtime industry leaders who will share their bold proposals to transform teaching and learning in the United States. Together, we'll amplify one another's unique perspectives, consider new solutions, and above all, make sure every voice is included in the conversation. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of our Future of School podcast mini-series called One Big Idea. We're really excited to have Nicole Biscotti with us today. She's an educator and author of I Can Learn When I'm Moving, Going to School with ADHD. Nicole, thanks for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate that. It's an honor. So you're an educator and an author. I'm so looking forward to hearing what your one big idea is. So dive right in and share with our audience your idea. Absolutely. And thank you for allowing me to express my idea. I'm very passionate about this idea. I feel very strongly that all teachers should have education and practicum in the area of special education so that they're prepared to teach all learners. So well said. How did you come up with this idea specifically, Nicole? Well, I came up with it because as a general education teacher myself, I teach Spanish in high school. I didn't realize how difficult it would be for me to meet the needs of my students with special needs. And then when my youngest child um, began to attend school and I realized that he has special needs And just in learning more about what he needs, and then at the same time, seeing in my classroom the needs of my students, sometimes being a parent informs your teaching and your teaching informs your parenting. I was kind of seeing it on all sides and realizing um, in conversations with other teachers that most of us didn't receive any education about how to meet the needs of special of kids with special needs. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I, my background, I was a high school Spanish teacher as well. And it, granted, it was, you know, a number of years ago, I had barely any, any, none special education students because they were, they were guided out of taking electives, even if they were interested in them in a way that they wanted, you know, the guidance counselors or whomever wanted them to focus on their core classes. But I would even say for me that, that, you know, that doesn't do all kids a service if they want, if they're passionate about the language and passionate about culture, or they have an interest in it, they should be able to take those classes and the, the all instructors should be prepared to be able to serve all kids. So I've had that experience myself. And that's interesting that you mentioned that specifically with language, because when we talk about taking Spanish classes, it's very similar to the experience that students have in English language arts classes, because a lot of those underlying skills are really similar in terms of literacy. And what I see a lot of is I have students that are heritage speakers and they'll often be placed into beginning Spanish classes rather than the courses that are designed for the needs of the heritage speaker, which are very different than um, acquiring a language. And it's really because not just teachers, but also counselors and many administrators, just as a field, we're not in pace with inclusion in terms of education. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. So I live in Colorado. And when I um, decided I wanted to teach high school, I didn't have a teaching license. 
And for high needs areas, the state, the Department of Education will, will sponsor you on an emergency license, put you through a year of training on Saturdays, and then you turn in a portfolio and you earn your, um, your teaching certification just as if you had gone to college for it. And I remember, I acutely remember we had one six hour day of special education training. And on the others, and there are issues with, with that as well. But on the other side of that, I'd like to share that I have two master's degrees in education and a third of a doctorate in education. And I've never ever taken a course or even read a chapter about meeting the needs of my students with special, with special needs, excuse me. You haven't? No, there was some, there was definitely some lesson planning uh, for differentiation. There were some classes for English language learners, but I never received any formal education in, um, in all of that education about education in how to handle the needs of children with special needs. And so that's that, I think that's fascinating, especially since that's what your big idea is. So would you say that your big idea came from being a parent of a child with special needs? I honestly think it came from both. I think that yeah. obviously being a parent, I became more acutely um, tied to the, you know, the, the struggles of my son, but then I would go to school and see it mirrored in my students. So I would definitely say that, you know, it, it got my attention as a parent, right? But then as mm-hmm. a teacher, I'm seeing it all around me and I'm realizing how um, essentially we're, we're just ill-prepared as, as a field. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. And I, you know, when I put my parent hat on, I've been in education professionally for my entire career since I was a TA in grad school back in the year that I won't name because I don't want to date myself. Um, And so I've been classically trained in teaching and I've, you know, it's what I do. It's my, you know, profession. When my son was in the second grade, he was struggling with written expression. And after, you know, long story short, after having an education evaluation, he was diagnosed with dysgraphia and dysgraphia is to writing what dyslexia is to reading. Now that kind of oversimplifies it, but most, most people can conceptualize dyslexia, but then dysgraphia, they're like, Oh, what? I've never heard of that. It's the, it's the written piece. And so I remember when he was diagnosed and put on a 504 that my friends and family were like, well, he's going to be just fine because you work in education and you know all about it. And I said this, I know nothing about this. I had not, I myself had never heard of it because as I said, as an instructor, students who learned differently were counseled out of world languages in the schools I taught in. So I had to learn, I chose to learn, right? I chose to read about it and learn and educate myself. So similar to you, it was a whole world that I knew nothing about until, until I was, and I say I was blessed. I was really gifted the opportunity to, to have a, such a keen understanding of how he learns. So i it's been a blessing. Exactly. And I've read several studies that show that the teachers that self that the report feeling confident and having higher self-efficacy with teaching students with disabilities or special needs, it is because of a personal experience, either themselves, their children, their siblings, um, somebody that they're tied to. And I'd also, you know, we, we talk a lot about the suspension of prison pipeline in education. And I think most of us are aware of the fact that children in special education are disproportionately suspended from school um, and things like that. And also the dropout rate is higher. So they're, they're having overall more negative outcomes than their counterparts in general education. 
And when we, we look at it from a systemic standpoint, in so many ways, we're failing to understand and identify those needs really because of a lack of training. I know when I was a kid, and I don't want to date myself either, right? But <laughs> when I was a kid, um, mostly special ed was separate from general education, even though the yeah. inclusion had already happened. But we have very slowly moved into where we actually do have inclusive classrooms. However, teachers have not been set up for success in the sense that our practicum wasn't adjusted to have hands-on experience with these populations. Our education wasn't adjusted either. Mm -hmm. I mean, the simple fact that you learned about dysgraphia through your experience as a mother rather than as an educator. However, under the Inclusion Act, you are tasked with teaching students with dysgraphia. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's a problem. Yeah. Yeah, no, this is a really important point. And I think about parents of children who struggle in school who aren't familiar, you know, who don't have a background in teaching or who don't, you know, maybe have the feel empowered to be advocates within the system, but they have the rights to be an advocate for their child. So what I love about your big idea is it's it's leveling the playing field by not having any kind of punishment, right? It's not, oh, if you if you don't do this, then that. It's saying, let's give you the tools and resources you need, educators, to teach all kids. Because historically, it's, you know, the average, right? It's like, okay, the, the, the bell curve. You know, most kids will learn in this, you know, in this bell curve and they'll fall in the middle. And then we have our, you know... 15% on, you know, either end that are the outliers when really that's flipped. And we did a podcast interview last week with a professor and his big idea was that every single child should have an individualized education plan that customizes yeah, yeah, and gives them access to different types of courses and, and pathways of learning, which I thought was fascinating. That That is a fascinating idea. I would be all for that. Definitely. Um, we do need to see more, more support like that in, in schools. And I yeah. do think it starts with education. Recently, I went from teaching in Arizona to California. And during my process of um, getting my certification for the state of California, I had to take three courses um, to prepare me for teaching ELL learners, or I could test out of them. And that was in addition to the fact that I'd already taken two for my Arizona credential. And at first I was like, oh my gosh, especially this year with the pandemic, right? Another thing to do. But in all reality, even though I teach Spanish, so working with ELL learners might be a little more intuitive for me in certain uh, contexts, I learned a lot. I learned so much. And the more I was taking these courses and learning strategies as an educator that serve my ELL students, the more I felt passionately that I just wish there was something like this so that I could learn to meet the needs of my dyslexic students, my yeah. students that have autism, et cetera. Yeah, no, that's, that's a really great point. So as we wrap up, my final question for you is, do you believe that the pandemic has primed the stage for your big idea? Do you think that it opens up doorways for your big idea to come to fruition? I absolutely do. Because I think that right now, more than ever, learning disparities and inequities are obvious. Yeah. Yeah. And we can't unsee, right? Now we're in a position where we've seen how much schools do to provide for students, 
um, you know, the role of educators, the support networks in schools, and parents now have had the opportunity to see how their children learn, albeit in a remote learning environment. So if ever there was a time for the buy-in and to support it, it's right now. So perfect timing with your big idea, Nicole. And we thank you so much for being here and sharing it with us. Thank you for listening to Future of School, the podcast. What's your one big idea to transform education? Connect with us on social media or on our website, www.futureof.school to share. And if you're one of our listeners enjoying the podcast on Apple, we hope you'll consider leaving a five-star review to help more people find the show.